0: Now, fight back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. Four people have been arrested in connection with that horrific bombing in Manchester, and police confirm they are hunting a terror network. We know that the bomber, Salman Abidi, was born in Manchester of Libyan descent. And his father confirmed that he was in Libya a month and a half ago and had plans also to go to Saudi Arabia. He fits the profile of the so-called homegrown jihadi, first-generation children of immigrants who turn against the country of their birth. Now, in the wake of the attack, a 1,000 British soldiers have been deployed to protect landmarks. And with a weekend of large public events here at home, Security has been tightened considerably. We want to know if you have changed your plans or have qualms about your kids or other loved ones' plans because of this. The number is call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740 Forty Right now, uh, I mean, first of all, we will be talking to Mayor John Tory about this shortly. But right now, let's go to Mubeen Sheikh, former counterterrorism operative with CSIS. Mubin, welcome. Thanks for joining
2: us. Thank you for having me.
1: So uh, four people are in custody in Manchester, and it appears to be a network. Is this something different? Is this a new phase that we're seeing?
2: No, uh, this is the, the same phase that we're going to be seeing for a while, actually. Um, whenever we see this kind of attack, especially uh, suicide bombing or any kind of improvised explosive device, uh, it's uh, there's almost always uh, a network involved. And most people don't have the individual competency to put together a bomb uh, as this individual did. Uh, and certainly this is what the British authorities are are telling us now that there is indeed a network and they are indeed investigating it.
1: Yeah, but the, with the other cases, a lot of the other cases, they've been dubbed so-called lone wolf attacks.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there are two ways to look at this. First is there's no such thing as a lone wolf. There's a wolf pack. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see a solitary wolf, but that solitary wolf belongs to a wolf pack. Uh, so when we look at these lone actors, you may get, um, you know, the, the true lone actor in the sense that this is an inspired person, an inspired attacker uh, that just does it themselves. And it's usually an active shooter situation, uh, stabbing, using a car along those lines, because stabbing, shooting, driving into people that doesn't really require technical competency and expertise that, that is required for an improvised explosive device.
1: Okay. Um, the other thing that we know is that uh, uh, the bomber, uh, Salman Abidi, I think I've heard six pronunciations of that name. Uh, so if, if you think you have the correct one, Mubin, please tell me. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, we've seen uh, these are uh, first generation uh, children of immigrants and he was known to police. What, what, what's your comment on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, first on the on the known to police part. Uh, I mean, this isn't something we should be surprised at. Uh, the UK is monitoring, and they're very very good at what they do. You know, we're 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 just hearing about this one plot that has gotten through, uh, but the UK has been interdicting uh, several serious plots. Uh, you know, at the scale of basically a seven seven every month for the past ten years. So. Uh, what we're seeing is, you know, one of those that got through. Uh, just, you know, I'm course, just,
1: I'm just going to interrupt you. Seven uh, seven, of course, was the attack on July the seventh. Uh, uh, that was two thousand and five, I think.
2: That's right. So,
1: I just that's want right. to remind people because uh, I'm not sure everybody uh, clued into that. Go ahead.
2: That's right. Yes, yeah, so it was the the two bombings and uh, on uh, on a double decker bus, just on the surface. So, so these are the plots that are getting through. The UK has a lot of people you know, that are known to them, quote unquote. But what does that mean? I mean, known for what? I mean, if they're known just to be talking, well, you know, we'll say, well, they're just talking, they're not doing anything. Well, the problem with that is that when a person moves from thought to action, it can be instantaneous, or it usually is, you know, at a moment. And uh, unless you are there monitoring them 24-7, you are not going to catch them moving from thought to action. And well, this is the dilemma. We're not going to be able to physically and financially monitor everyone that, quote-unquote, we know about. So that's, those are the limitations with uh, surveilling these kinds of people.
1: Yeah, but there's also this issue of uh, the travel. Um, is there something yes. different, tougher, that we should be doing to people who travel uh, to places like this and, and fit a certain profile?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I favor behavioral profiling. I mean, um, you know, ethnic profiling, it's it's problematic. Uh, I just I don't want to go down that road. But let's just stick with what is accepted, and that's behavioral profiling. Uh, Somebody who is coming back from a country that is currently under civil war, I think it's very well warranted to look into uh, who is this person, who did they go to see, what are they coming back with, and all these sorts of questions. Um, it's possible some of those questions were asked. I don't know. I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, get ahead of the investigation, but certainly th- this is definitely something you can do. If they're coming from these kinds of countries, uh, they do deserve extra scrutiny. And it's not because they're Muslim or they're young and male, which, I mean, young male Muslims, these are the ones that we're seeing more often. Uh, you can just go to the countries that they're coming from and The things that they're doing, whether they're in country and it's harder to get intelligence uh, on what they're doing in country or what they're doing in our country, wherever our country is. And that's easier for us to do. So taking those two things together uh, would definitely you know move things along much better
1: okay well I mean they there I guess not that it's necessarily a sign but uh, but uh, people were saying that that this young man uh, you know uh, adopted Muslim dress religious dress uh, quite recently uh, which is I don't know is that a, is that the kind of change that people should be looking out for?
2: Uh, no it by itself I mean sudden change in religious clothing by itself is not a, a risk factor or an indicator. If you join that with what you might want to term aggravating factors, well, then the change in religious dress might be an indicator. So, for example, you change your religious dress and you engage in very black-and-white thinking, us versus them, the kufar. So you, you, you develop what's called a categorical thinking. Uh, that then becomes, a, because now you're moving towards demonization of the other, which is one of the major steps uh, before a person actually attacks that demonized other. So by itself, it's nothing, but adjoining it with aggravating factors, it does become an indicator.
1: Okay, uh, let's uh, go to the phones and uh, hear from a few callers here. We've got Joe in St. Catharines. Hi, Joe.
3: Hello, how are you?
1: Fine, how are you?
3: Good, good. Well, it's very sad what happened in the UK there. Yes. shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. I got a feeling... uh, the West isn't speaking out properly to tell the world, like, you know, enough is enough. And we're afraid to hurt their feelings, their religion, whatever. But it comes to a point now where we have to speak out and say, what the hell is going on here?
1: Well, I think I think we are saying that. I yeah. mean, uh, I did you hear Theresa May and, and our leaders? Uh, I, I mean... Yeah. That's what I've been hearing. I'm not sure that uh, saying something about it is going to stop it.
3: Well, I know one thing. Uh, It came from a Canadian politician, which very few people know about. Like, we already have 64 ISIS fighters back in Canada.
1: Yeah, we have people who are are back in Canada, and that's um, uh, that's an issue in Europe, too, where what happens to people who they know are coming back? I mean, often it's people who are disillusioned with uh, the Islamic State, and they are allowed back into certain places. And Mubin, do you think we have to—how uh, do you think that should be handled?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just— Directly to what the speaker is saying. Look, this is what a lot of people are feeling. You know, we're 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 at you know we're at the end here. We are I mean, how how much more can we take of this? Yeah. And uh and, and it's a very real concern and a very real question. I mean, you know, we have to be smart about it. On one hand, we can't go all off on the entire religion and all Muslims because. And forget about feelings and political correctness. Let's just think about uh, intelligence gathering. We need that community. We need to convince them that you need to work with us and in fact um you know this attack is actually bringing a lot of people who would normally not engage with the, uh, the government to start engaging with the government and by that i'm talking about intelligence assets so you know there are a lot of things that are happening that are unseen which you know obviously we won't know about so that's one side of it uh, the other side of it is uh, with isis returnees look disillusion doesn't mean de-radicalized. uh these guys are going to have ptsd they're going to have nightmares they're going to have all sorts of you know psychological issues which and we we see this a lot with every anytime there's an attacker and he's got quote-unquote mental health issues well now we have guys with mental health issues that have combat training that are now back so what do we do with them
1: well that's you know I'd like to pick up on that Um, Mubeen do you think that European countries are wrong to allow people who they know have been uh, with the Islamic State back into their country Um, I'm not sure there might be a different standard for uh, young women who were jihadi brides I don't know are they considered more benign Um, uh, is that being handled the
2: wrong way You know, I'm I'm reluctant to tell other countries how to do stuff. But then again, other countries do ask me how we should do things. So if I may, I would say, look, generally speaking, it is a big problem to allow them back. Hmm. You know, earlier on, I I was a little more sympathetic. I realized, look, these guys are going to get their fix, realize that it's wrong and come back. But, you know, I always knew even then if the person was young and they went for a very short period of time, this is somebody that can be rehabilitated but for those that are older and have been there for a long time now they're back because isis is getting their butts handed to them Mm -hmm. these people continue to pose a considerable considerable risk and what i'm afraid of is you have intelligence agents or police officers who may not know the details of the ideology that drives them and will do a threat assessment that doesn't that underestimates the threat that they pose uh and my biggest fear is ISIS returnees who will come back, reconstitute themselves as sleeper cells, and then if you thought, you know, Manchester was bad, wait till, you know, Dr. Klan-style attacks, and this was the French theater, you know, taken hostage while an American rock band was playing, many people killed, wait till those kinds of attacks happen by ISIS returnees, and then we'll realize... How wrong we've had it.
1: Well, the other thing is, I mean, if if people knew that absolutely once they go, they can't come back. Maybe that would be more of a deterrent.
2: Perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was actually you know the belief. The belief actually was. Let me let me flip it another way. A lot of intelligence services were saying, "Wait a second, if these guys want to go and play out their jihadist fantasies." Let them go. Let them get them out of our hair of thinking that, you know, we're just going to put the problem somewhere else, but not realizing that, look, some of these guys, you know, for whatever reason, uh, are still alive. So I think the one thing we should have done is when these people do go over to a combat zone is target them in the combat zone. And I mean, kill them is what I'm saying.
3: Wow. But, but, wow! But that's uh... perfect.
2: that's that, is, that is the standard practice. That's what we're doing right now. So if they wanted to go, uh, we can't legally let them go. That's the problem, right? I mean, we're United Nations. We can't willingly, knowingly let criminals go to another country and commit criminal acts. But for those that did go, we should continue to target them. And those that are back, you know, either we can put them back into recirculation as intelligence assets or you're going to serve time in a prison. Uh, I mean, some cases you will be able to rehabilitate and use them for countering countering radicalization and i think they're very effective but you have to be very careful with the person you select to do that
1: okay thanks very much uh for your call joe and uh mubeen uh, thank you for that as well bye-bye thanks joe okay uh okay callers uh hang on there uh we are now going to mayor john tory hi mayor tory hello Hello, uh do we have John Tory? uh there appears to be something Oh, hello, do we have John Tory? Okay, uh we're going to take uh Margaret in Kitchener. Hi, Margaret. Hi there. Uh, I just have a very simple question sure um,
4: aren't there such a thing as uh dogs that sniff out bombs? There are yes. So couldn't they have them at the entrance where the people are coming in? Uh. Well. The uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well. Then. Then that that would deter the.
1: Would be bombers, whatever. Well, if all the security worked perfectly, it would deter the bombers. And uh, as Mubin was explaining, uh, you know, for every uh, for every uh, bombing that goes ahead and is a tragedy like the one we saw in Manchester, there are uh, lots that uh, are foiled. So, um, yeah, no no security is perfect. And, yes, there are bomb-sniffing dogs, and should more of them be deployed uh, at the so-called perimeter of these venues? Um, probably. I, I don't know exactly what was there um, to begin with, but sure.
4: Yeah, especially at events like that, because the the, um, the uh, ISIS group or whatever, they, they don't like our way of living. Do you think we sh- should still be wearing... Uh, long dresses and uh, veils like they, they did during Jesus' time.
1: Uh well yeah that's uh that's uh, just the least of it. Um, yeah. w- what do you um you know what do you think should be done Margaret?
4: I think uh they should work on perfecting uh detection of the bombs. Mm-hmm. And that that would in itself would deter someone from walking in. Although so some question
1: of you. Oh um, I don't know what else to add to that. Okay, okay then. Thank you very much for your call. Okay, bye bye. Okay, uh, as yes, are we good to go? Do we have Mayor Tory on the line?
3: Here I am, Libby.
1: Hi, how are you?
3: I'm fine. I'm sorry. I just had to step out of City Council in order to uh, talk to you, so here I am.
1: Okay, great. Uh, So we have a a big weekend ahead of uh, some great concerts, some great public events like Open Doors Toronto. Um, Should people expect increased security?
3: Well, I mean, the last thing we're going to do is is indicate uh, that, if it was so. I will only say to your listeners this and to you, uh, which is that I am talking to the police chief on a continuous basis, especially after we see incidents like the horror that took place in Manchester. And I am, uh, you know, I'm confirming with him that he is taking, in conjunction with all of the security agencies he deals with every day, every step uh, that he believes is necessary and, and those that he consults with to make sure people in Toronto are safe, including at large venues, special events, or just in going about their day to day lives here. And I'm confident that's exactly what he's doing
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, In Britain, for instance, after this uh, attack, uh, the threat level was raised, and that's made public. Um, do we not do that here?
3: Well, if the threat level was to be raised here, I suspect it would be uh, made public, but I have confirmed with the chief, and again, I make a call every time after an international incident of any kind, big or small, um, to the chief and inquire about whether there are any changes to be made, any arrangements that I need to know about. And uh, when I made that call yesterday to the chief of police for Toronto, uh, he confirmed to me that uh, they're in constant review every day of all the arrangements in place around the city, but that there was no change uh, contemplated to our security level uh, in the city. And uh, so, you know, I I obviously, you know, will check back in with him. And he, I'm sure if he was contemplating making a change, he would call me and then we'd have the decision to make about making it public. But I would certainly say to you that in the event there was something going on that uh, necessitated that, I would think it would be wise to uh, tell the public only because they can help us with their own vigilance and their own eyes and ears uh, to keep on top of any threat that uh, is, uh, you know, found to exist in our city.
1: Um, You know, the, the, particular insidious nature of this uh, bombing was that the targets were children. And I've been talking to people who are now saying things like, you know, I never would have thought twice about my son, my daughter, my grandchild going to a concert. And now um, I don't like that idea. What, What do you want to tell those parents and grandparents
3: well I want to say to people that I share their absolute horror and their that's just the complete rejection of, of, of the kinds of, uh, of, of people that would even think about doing this kind of thing um, and I would say look the reality is in 2017 uh, and as we've gone on into the 21st century that life has changed you know for people who live anywhere in the world including Toronto or including Manchester or including lots of other places and that um, you know I think parents, Uh, and others have to make uh, day-by-day, event-by-event judgments about what uh, they are going to have their children go to. But I think, by and large, they can do that, make those decisions, safe in the assurance that our police and all the other security uh, apparatus that we have in Canada are doing everything they possibly can to uh, assure uh, the safety of those young people. So, but I do think that you know people have to look at these matters carefully and be vigilant themselves uh, because that 's just the reality unfortunately because of these um, these 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 criminals uh, of of uh, living in the twenty first century
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you i mean yesterday we were talking to a security expert who had some you know so called tips if you're if you 're in a big venue you know look around and see where you can take cover in the event of something happening. Do you think it's wise for people to do that? Or, or is that sort of too much changing our own way of life and how we go about our lives?
3: You know, I think when I was much younger, nobody ever told you when you went to stay at a hotel to make sure you check that diagram on the back of the door that shows you how you get out of the hotel if there's a fire. I mean, everybody would say, well, there's not going to be a fire. Well, you know, I I think that's true. Most of the time there won't be a fire. Most of the time when you go to the Air Canada Centre or the Rogers Centre or to open doors, there's not going to be an incident. But I just think people are wise in the 21st century to be aware of what's going on around them at all times, to be vigilant, to watch for strange behaviour on the part of other people, and to be aware of... You know where they are and how they would leave that place if it it came to be the case that they had to leave quickly and this to me is just uh, just like when you go on an airplane they always tell you you know where the emergency exits are and whatnot and they don't do it because they hope or think there's going to be an accident with the plane they do it just as a matter of basic prudence and I think in the 21st century I hate to say it but life has changed for us all and I really regret that, but it's just a reality, and I think people are wise to be keep their wits about them
1: mm-hmm. and uh, going forward, uh, are you taking this into account when it comes to planning the many uh, wonderful events that we have every summer
3: always, and and you know we have uh, as a uh consequence of that uh, you know very reality the police involved in the planning of all these events and uh, they have plans that they make each and every year if you were to look at a report that was at the police board yesterday for even things that we don't know are going to occur but we hope like the Blue Jays making the playoffs <laughs> you know, big <laughs> celebration they have plans for all of that to keep people safe that's their job and I certainly take it very seriously as part of my job and as part of their job to make sure we have plans for just about anything you could have plans for to keep people safe. And I'm very confident that they're uh, applying themselves to that every single day. And as a result, you can never, you know, sort of say that you've covered everything, but you've certainly done everything possible and everything realistic to keep people safe in the city. And that's everybody's job, including
0: mine.
1: Okay. Mayor Tory, thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with us on this. It's I sure really as always. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.